0: Hello everyone and welcome to Journey to Success Radio Network. My name is Tom Tutal Cunningham. I'm a motivational speaker helping people to live positively with and through the challenges of life. I've had rheumatoid arthritis from my jaw to my toes since the age of five. That's 46 years now. And in that time I've had four hips, four knees, and two shoulders replaced which makes me sound like a spider, and I've been hospitalized about 40 times. I also stand about five foot one, hence the nickname Too Tall, and that's due to the heavy daily doses of the steroid prednisone that I had to take to fight my arthritis. Despite my physical challenges, everyone knows me knows I always answer amazing when asked how I'm doing. I tell people 80% of the time it's true, the other 20% of the time it's to remind myself that it's true. You can find out more about me and in this uh, interview at my website, Tom, the number two, and t a l l T-A-L-L.com. My guest today is the amazing Dale Spencer. Uh, Dale was leading the life of an average college student when, at the age of 20, an unforeseen injury changed his life forever. Left paralyzed, Dale had to adapt to new ways of doing everyday tasks, getting around, interacting with people, finishing college, and entering the workforce. Dale has triumphed over adversity and risen to the top of his profession and he continues to give back to his community, grow and take on new challenges. By using simple techniques to keep his fear in check and his mind focused, Dale has been able to achieve his life goals and now he is sharing his experiences and helping others to attain their goals and ambitions ambitions. He is a specialist at aiding in the realization that each of us is already equipped with the necessary tools to achieve success regardless of our circumstances. Dale takes his audiences on a journey of real-life experiences and revelations, and together they identify obstacles, both professional and per- personal, which are common roadblocks to achieving success. Welcome to the show today, Dale.
1: So glad to be here, Tom.
0: I uh, love the description. One thing I really love and uh, about your description that I've found with my handicap is uh, it says you had to adapt to new ways of doing everyday tasks and getting around. And I find with my arthritis, for instance, when I drop things, I can't pick them up, so I either have to put them between my feet and throw them up in the air if I'm sitting on a chair and catch them or use a reacher, or various other creative and ingenious ways to do things. I have a sock putter on her for socks, uh, and there are a number of other creative ways that I have to do things uh, that I'm sure in a wheelchair, uh, that must have been pretty tough, and especially at uh, 20 years old when it happened, and that's a time when you think you're invincible and you're going to live forever and be able to do everything. Um, so yeah, let's talk a little bit about that When Was it 20 that you were paralyzed? And then just like a lot of people probably don't realize all the creative things you have to do when you're paralyzed.
1: So uh, the injury, yes, indeed, happened at 20 years old. I was at uh, Northern Illinois University. Go Huskies. And uh, it was a fall, and it was a devastating fall. Um, and subsequent to the, the fall itself, after going through rehab and so forth, you were kind of explaining some of the things that I had to deal with on a daily basis to adapt, to modify everyday life. Not only the everyday life, but the moment you wake up in the morning to the moment you have to go to bed, I had to relearn how to do everything not the same but differently because I'm sitting down now and not standing up in this world
0: yeah and everything everything getting dressed uh, even I've understood from people in wheelchairs that just learning to transfer from your chair to a couch or a or another chair is friggin battle in itself to learn how to (laughs) do so
1: so when I originally I went went to rehab December of 1989 and uh, it, one of my first tasks was to learn how to put my clothes on. Now, that was something as simple as, you know, socks, shoes, underwear, sweats, and a shirt. And it took me literally 45 minutes to put my clothes on where it would take somebody at age 3, 4 years old, about 5 minutes. And I might have broken the Guinness Book of World Records and the amount of F-bombs that they used in that 45 minutes. It was incredibly frustrating.
0: It is, uh, especially when you're used to, it, as you said, taking like three to five minutes. And same when I after surgeries, and when I used to be single and live alone, uh, everything seemed to take like nineteen times as long as it usually took. And that alone was enough to uh, create some impatience and f bombs. <laughs>
1: you know what patience is a virtue. I understand that's a cliche, but you know what? It's also an acquired taste. I wanted everything done yesterday. Seriously. Everything was a rash decision. Everything was, I needed it done to get to the next task. Well, now everything has to be well thought out. You you, you brought an interesting point up about you know reaching for classes and using a breacher and so forth. So I have utilized my house space where everything is from a grab space and I have long arms so I wouldn't be able to get to the second shelf in the cabinet but that reacher has become my best friend with the exception of those types of glasses I make sure that the glasses are in the bottom cabinet so you know how the reacher is when you grab you know you push it and then the the, the suction cups in theory, yeah. it would grab around the gra- glass, and if you don't get it perfectly, <laughs> it's going to drop right. I'm sure it's happened to you once or twice.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so it's just one of those things where – and I have pneumatic tires on my wheelchair, which means it has inner tubes. So if I'm breaking the glass on the floor, I can't move or I'm going to be rolling over it, and then I'm going to bust a tube. So there's all these you know, yeah. ancillary things that are going on uh, with one individual task.
0: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> totally. Uh, I uh, I use my oven as a shelf because at five foot one, I can't reach most shelves, and I'm not a big cooker. I use a toaster oven, so I use
1: my oven as a shelf for my cereal. Well, Tom, you had you're five one. You still beat me by about four or five inches, man. Yeah, I could kick. you. I could tower <laughs>
0: over you. And yes, you and can. I kick her out. <laughs> I might not That's be able to kick you fast enough
1: to get out of the chair to do it, but. Uh,
0: yeah, that's the thing, and even grocery shopping, like, uh... Well,
1: here's the interesting thing about grocery shopping. So, you know, when when my injury first happened, you know, it was one of those pride factors where I could do it myself, and that's been my attitude all my life. Well, you know, there's a lot of places that I need to go to, and I need to get just something as simple as a grocery store and grabbing a half gallon of milk on the top shelf, and you know what, I, I, I invite humility in my life. If there's somebody that's gonna be walking by me, I'm gonna ask them, you know, would you mind just grabbing that for me, please, because I can't reach it. And you know, I gotta tell you, 10 times out of 10, th- somebody's very nice and they say, hey, okay, sure, here you go, that's great. You know. It, we can do a lot of things on our own in our life, but we can't do everything on our own. And I've really utilized, uh, needed to utilize supportive group systems, whether it comes to my family, friends, associate. And that's just a microcosm of some of the things I've worked with and had people help me to become more successful in life. Because it's not only on our own shoulders. We need a team.
0: Exactly. And that's one of the biggest things as I've gotten older that I learned was how to – was that – asking for help and realizing that 99 out of 100 times people are more than happy to help. Whereas when I was young, I would try and try and try to do everything by myself and usually a lot of frustration involved. But once I start asking for help, uh, life becomes so easy. And, and I, I was just going to say that, like Tom.
1: It's just so much in easier. Seminars, right?
0: In my seminars, I joke about, uh, you know, if I need to reach something at the gym or at the grocery store. You know, a six foot four, two 240-pound linebacker can come by. But if there's a pretty girl somewhere around, I'm going to wait for them to pass by and ask for help. Uh, same as in the grocery store. Excuse me, ma'am. Can you uh, reach that for me? And uh, well, if you're going to have to ask for help, you might as well have
1: some fun with it. And hopefully she's single. That's what I say. So. <laughs> Even if she's
0: not, it's still nicer to ask a pretty woman for help. <laughs> <Because> <laughs>
1: I couldn't agree with you more.
0: <laughs> and so uh now uh, tell us uh, a little bit about um how fear uh plays into uh your story because fear really holds m- most people back. Everyone has some fears and those fears can really uh, stop us in our tracks, can't they?
1: Well, they really can and um my injury experience was definitely a pinnacle part of overcoming that fear, but it didn't happen right right away. Um, it was an event that happened. Now, I used to be one of these people where I would speak in front of a 30-person class in high school, get through a five-minute talk, and then about 30 seconds into it, completely blank out because what I would do is I'd just rehearse uh, verbatim the script that I had down and all of a sudden I get into the situation and I'm thinking, okay, what are these people thinking about me? Everybody's staring at me. Somebody's smirking. Somebody's not paying attention or they're going to throw something at me. And literally after 30 seconds, I'd sit down, mm-hmm. blank out, get a zero for the the, the, uh, the project. So fast forward after the injury. You know, I've had to force myself being in a wheelchair in a campus that is not the most wheelchair accessible place, number one. Number two is everybody staring at me. So I, you want to talk about frightening and one, not wanting to go out of my apartment to even go to a class because I'm wondering what people are thinking about me. I had to develop a thick skin. And so through that experience, it was really interesting, the second semester I was back after uh, my injury, I was in a class called EPSE. It's called Exceptional People in Society. And they talked about people with personal, uh, learning behavioral, uh, f- vision impairment, hearing impairment, spinal cord injuries, strokes, traumatic brain injuries. They talked about different types of disabilities all throughout the semester. Well, the professor actually approached me and asked me if I wanted to share my story. Now, I never shared the intimate hmm. details of my story before, unless it was like, you know, one-on-one or with family and so forth. So I had that going for me. And the other thing was, I immediately flashed back to that high school project, thinking to myself, oh, my God, how, how am I going to survive this? Am I going to do this? And I had to contemplate it and think about it for a very long time. I came back, the professor said that I, I agree, I will uh, be amenable to it, and I look forward to it. And, of course, in the back of my mind, I'm like, okay, I better not bomb. <laughs> so the day comes of the, the speech, and the, the professor gives me a quick introduction, brings me up there, mics me with the lavalier microphone. And I say, hi, my name is Dale Spencer. And here's my story. And I started talking. Within that 30 seconds, I didn't blank out. I actually had something, not through osmosis, but something that just blew or exploded inside me that I never knew that I I had. I never realized. And it was funny because there was not 30 people in the class. This was a lecture hall of over 600 people. So I had these sea of heads looking at me on the edge of their seats, waiting for every word that comes out of my mouth. And that indescribable feeling was not only self-therapeutic because I was able to share my story in a mass audience, but also overcame such a deadly fear. And by the way, you can look this up, Google statistics and everything. Usually speaking is like number one or number two of the biggest fears on the planet. So overcoming that fear right there, not to say that the subsequent talks that I've had, I had a level of anxiety. I think, you know, healthy fear and anxiety level is definitely good for you because it keeps you alert, keeps you frosty. At the same time, I look back at it and I'm like, oh my God, that was the pinnacle. I didn't know what vehicle I could take to really promote that message, but I knew I just overcame such a a daunting fear that I have had my entire life. And I knew that not only I had purpose for what I can deliver for a message being in the chair, but also understanding what steps I need to take to overcome that fear itself.
0: Wow, wow. One thing you talk about there is that people staring and uh, I had a friend visit recently. Um, we met at a hotel or in the lobby and after about 15 minutes he said, wow, he is my very best friend, know me a long time. He says, wow, he says, I forgot. How everybody stares at you or looks at you when they walk by. And I'm totally immune to it after 46 years. I don't always realize, don't ever realize that. And so it's like, wow, they do, eh? Yeah. I well, Tom, you remember, I
1: mean, obviously, for some of the things that I've seen that you have done, you've done you know, had much success in your life. And it's funny because you're in a little different situation. I mean, this, this was, you know, ever since you were very, very small. My injury yeah. happened at age 20. So, oh. well, here's the thing. No matter if it's congenital or something happened to be an injury, you said it, you, you're immune to it. And you know why you're immune to it? In, in my interpretation is you need to have goals in every day of your life that you need to do whether it be something as rudimentary as going to a grocery store or taking a shower or brushing your teeth all the way to developing business plans and developing proposals to be a speaker and so forth you are so focused on that you don't realize that those people are staring at you and you know it's funny i always tell my audiences that curiosity could be construed as negative energy I'm like a horse with blinders. I keep that negative energy out of me, and I need to focus on my accomplishments and what I need to do on that specific day to look at the end prize of what that strategic long-term goal is going to provide to me.
0: Exactly, and after a while, you just don't notice uh, people. No, you the, don't.
1: Ones are the only the only ones I
0: notice are the kids that are like, Mom. Why is that man so short? Why does he walk like that? They think they're whispering. You could hear them like three. Uh, so let miles. me
1: ask you this: what What is your uh, what's your response to that when they say oh, that? Uh, yeah, I'm very
0: open. Like especially if it's kids, um, they're, they're, everything's new to kids. A lot of times they haven't encountered people. They're not aware of disabilities, and so I love to. to talk to them just explain it and talk a little bit about it and just clarify it for them um although a lot of times their parent like mortify like
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah there is that certain level of awkwardness in the adults but it's so funny because yeah. when a when a kid mentions something like that and like okay why is that man in a wheelchair i just view it as an educational moment and i explain yeah. my situation you know
0: yeah, exactly, and it's enlightening to kids, and it's uh, it, it's nice to explain it to them, I find it. Uh, for years, I used to think, like, shut up, like, uh, I'm taller <laughs> than you, can still kick your butt, uh, but now I really understand that kids are kids, and it's not asking out of meanness or anything, it's just a little confusing to them. Let me ask you this, Dale, because I've, I'm thinking of three specific parents, mothers especially, that had kids that, became paralyzed and i asked them how they deal with it it and it seemed that however their attitude was before the accident it determined a lot how they how they coped with their new world after the accident two of them said well they're doing pretty poorly they're pretty negative but you know what, they were negative and, you know, disgruntled and not a positive person before the accident. And a third one said, well, he's handling it amazing. He's doing so well and he's so encouraging. But, you know, he's always had a positive attitude. And So how did did your attitude change or did your previous attitude before uh, the accident uh, help you after as well?
1: That's a great question, the fact that... Uh I had somebody ask me the same question a couple of weeks ago, and it's, it's just a simple response. I, I think I, my attitude and personality did not change. I think what changed was the intensity of my positive nature, because I've always had a smile on my face ever since I was a little baby. I was, always, I was a happy kid. I, I have to admit I did you know, have a a decent childhood. I really did. I had supportive parents. Uh, I, you know, my mom pushed me, um, meaning figuratively, and every goal that I needed to take care of. She was my rock, or she has been my rock, still is, and she has helped me with that positive attitude. That being said, this injury happened really tests your willpower, um, your attitude about life, whether God or, um, you, you know, your own situation and your limitations and how do you modify that. So looking back on the road behind you, I was never that person. I always looked at the journey ahead of me. And there are so many things that I can really just appreciate in life. And it's not appreciating every day in life. It's every moment in life. Now, With me and you, I mean, your your obviously visible situation is not only it, I'm sure you're dealing probably with certain types of pain and so forth, and, of course, Mm -hmm. there's medications involved in everything. So with that being said, I have a lot of nerve pain in my legs. But with meditation, with focus, like I talked about before, I can overcome that. The pain is still there, but I can bring it from an eight or a nine out of 10 to about a 4 or 5 or maybe even a 3 and focus on the great things. When you focus on the great things and the things that you need to accomplish in life, that it's going to make you enriched more physically, emotionally, and mentally. I tell you, Tom, I'm going to brag a little bit myself. Uh, In 1989, I got out of rehab in February, and since 1989, I've only spent four days in the hospital because I take care of myself. Um, I I make sure I eat the right foods. Um, You know, I I see so many situations where people are, are coming to drinking and really just, it kills their health, and I have to stay away from that. There's too much to live for, and I want to be on this plan for a long period of time. So talking about those, talking aspects, about those aspects is, br- aspects bring, is my bring my positive attitude to the, the next level, and I just appreciate life. I, you know, I, I, I plan on being positive until the day I die.
0: Nice, nice. But you're right,
1: though. I mean, some people, that's funny that you had mentioned about whether the person was positive or negative. And, yeah, you know, it's not all positive, inspiring people that have these injuries. I mean, there's definitely negative people out there, too, and their attitude not only about themselves, about others. You can just resonate. It resonates off you. And so being around so many people in chairs, you kind of pick it out.
0: Uh, Yeah, exactly, especially if you're rehabbing around other people in chairs, you could probably figure out, well, that's a positive person, and that person, they're going to have a hard time. (laughs) So true. Now, I find uh, with uh, disability, chronic, and yours as well, uh, persistence and perseverance are two amazing traits to help people cope positively and still uh, fulfill their purpose and make an impact on the world. Uh, where do you think that persistence and perseverance comes from? Is it Do you have it in you as you're brought up by your parents? Do they uh, develop it in you? Or where does it come from? Because it's so important in business, it's so important with disabilities, it's so important in life to persist and persevere and never give up.
1: We have all of those attributes inside us, whether it be intense or maybe some people not as much. But we can utilize that persistence and perseverance with a pragmatic approach. I mean, you could have the the greatest perseverance that you have in life and the greatest passion in life, but if it's not focused, I mean, where are you going to go? So with that persistence, and, and it, which is a, a potent combination, the persistence and perseverance, but there's got to be a plan, whether it comes to your personal and professional life and bring it to a pragmatic approach, such as your business. Tom, you, you, you've built your business over a, a number of years, and you've become quite successful. I'm in the beginning journey of my speaking experience, even though I spoke for 20 years through my charity. I'm, it, I'm now monetizing it, and I'm actually not only trying to develop new content myself but i actually have a business development firm helping me not only with my short-term or long-term goals now that i always like to bring up the support group because that is my business support group i can have as much perseverance as possible but if i don't have the tools tom i'm not going anywhere so having those tools and having the experts really help me bring my business to the next level is really important i can you know I, i can have as much dedication as possible but and the thing is, there's, I'm not an expert at everything. I do a couple of things extremely well, speaking being one of them. But developing a business plan, developing you know, different types of uh, programs and so forth, I need that help. And with our persistence, if we have that support group around us to help us bring to that next level, it, it, we're all going to be enriched.
0: Exactly. Master, uh, Napoleon Hill calls it a mastermind group. And those are specific people chosen to yeah, encourage, support, help, plan, do whatever it takes to help each other achieve success. And when you have that, because in life you're going to have people that support you and don't support you. But when you find the ones that can really help you, support you, encourage you, um, it's an amazing thing to have an inner circle like that and to be able to serve them as well. And so... Uh, yeah you keep coming back to that about how you have an amazing circle of support and and uh it 's so important to have um, and I think your attitude uh makes it easier to generate that support when you have a positive attitude. people are naturally wanting to help and and uh assist you in any way and so I see what you say you 're used to speaking you 're used to how encouraging people um but you know putting together business plans and all those kind of things are. Uh, different for you, or n- not not known, and so nice to have a, a group that can a group of people you can rely on to to help you with those things. And when I talk, I try I don't really teach people anything because I'm you know I'm not uh, seven steps to achieve success. Mostly, what I try to do is encourage and inspire people to remind them that uh, as you talk about, you already have all you need. Uh, to be successful in your life. First, it starts with your thoughts. You can control every single one of your thirty to 60,000 daily thoughts and direct them to a plan. Um, and so uh, talk a little bit about that, how, how you teach people, remind people, uh, not even teach them, it's more of a reminding that they already are equipped with all the tools that they need to achieve their purpose, success, and goals and plans. Not everybody realizes that, do they?
1: no they don't um but the thing is you have to take the time to really soul search for me there was an epiphany that i had um you know i'm a mortgage banker by trade been in real estate for 22 years now well back in 2011 i was in park city and i downhill ski and it's a it's phenomenal in fact i'm going to spend hopefully about 3 to 4 weeks out there next january to up my skiing uh, game and because i'm just obsessed with the sport now obviously there's safety features involved with the padding and the helmets and everything but going down this hill the mountain on monoski is just amazing well anyways hmm. i would when i go to park city with my friend and his wife i would work in the morning because i'm virtual with the the, the laptop the ipad and so forth and and i would ski in the afternoon well This was during the time that this Dodd-Frank rule came down the pike because of the uh, result of the real estate bubble burst. Um, What they did was they made uh, guidelines more restrictive on people in lending and so forth. So it seemed like every deal started to get um, a little hairy. And what I wanted to do is I wanted to have a plan B. You know how uh, how about if this this doesn't work out for me what can i what can I fall back on? What can I have that can really drive my passion and also I can monetize at the same time? So uh, I looked back and i soul searched and and i had an epiphany. I, I, I've been speaking for 18 years with this organization to advocate injury prevention by m- making sound choices to prevent spinal cord and traumatic brain injuries. The organization's called Think First National Injury Prevention Foundation. And I've been speaking to inner city schools, high schools and middle schools for you know 18 years at that point. And I've spoken to probably a good 60,000, 70,000 students. So I had a good message out there. But injury prevention message, albeit incredibly important, was a little nichey, and I needed something to reach mm-hmm. my entire audience and yeah. uh, to focus on that. And So what I did was I developed a plan um, to talk to people that are already titans of this industry people that are best-selling authors, but people that build different industries from the ground on up and just arrived at just incredible success and the steps that they needed to take. And so what I did, of course, with copious amounts of coffee, because uh, that's my thing. I guess that's my, my, my vice of choice, uh, especially dark roast. And uh, what I would do is just... Ask them a ton of questions regarding about how, how they present, how how they how they reach their audiences, um, what kind of products they bring out, and so it took me a year and a half, and I call that the embryonic process of building that business plan and getting that team together, and then start marketing myself, and that's what I did. I incorporated it in December of 2012, and I've been going gangbusters ever since, and it's been a wonderful ride. Uh, but you need to have that pragmatic approach. If you're passionate about something in life, that's fantastic. Fantastic, But if you don't have a specific plan, you need, you know, you're not going to really go anywhere in life. So and, and that's what my mantra is. Uh, and I hope I answered your question correctly.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Can you talk about uh, um, I'm thinking of a specific story from another guy I interviewed born with no arms and no legs took him three years uh, out of university to get a job. Uh, They flew him from New York to California, told him on the phone he had a job, and he never told him of his disability. When he arrived at the airport, uh, they didn't even interview him. They just sent him back home, didn't give him a job. And so, uh, A, maybe he should have told them. They asked him, how will we recognize you? He said, I'll be wearing a red tie. Uh, Should have told them maybe something different. Uh, But have you found it before you were self-employed? Did you find it at challenged to get a job i know we're in tough times and if someone interviews 10 people they're basically looking for a way to eliminate nine people and you have one big elimination device that you ride around on
1: well tom you know what i, I didn't tell you this but you know you and i are pretty much the same age so when you were you were, you were looking for jobs uh was probably 1990 right yeah remember how how tough it was back then because remember that was desert storm and shield and the job market was just terrible and they didn't really have those smartphones like we have now. It was those big package phones. And I didn't even own a cell phone after I graduated college at that point. So what I had to do was uh, use one of those antiquated devices, you know, the pay phones at the gas stations. <laughs> and what I would do is every day I would call, because, you know, most of these office spaces were not accessible. If there's steps in the front, was there a ramp on the side or the back? No way. So I had to do was I had to call them and have somebody not only – um, help me up the stairs because, you know what, I'm not, the, I'm not that guy who's going to complain. Like, I can't believe you're not accessible. No, I'm all about getting from point A to point B, and how can I get yeah. there? So, again, the humility aspect has really taken to effect. I would call and say, hey, you know, I'm in the chair. I was wondering if somebody can help me up a couple of stairs because I would like to give you my resume or, job applica- or write out a job application. If that's going to be too tough, why don't you just come outside, give me the job application. I'll fill it out, give it back to you, and then hopefully get an interview. So, backtrack. May of 91, uh, I graduated from college. My mom said, okay, you got a 30-year reprieve, or 30-day reprieve, that rather. And then you can do whatever you want. You can screw off, and then after those 30 days, you're going to go look for a job. Your job actually is going to get a job. That was my yeah. deal. So every day, now if you remember back then, that was the weather where every other day it was about 95, 100 degrees, and I'm in a suit and sweating my butt off. But it was like i had to go out every day and scour the area and whether it be financial planning insurance um, the real estate industry whatever i was going out and out and out in job fairs and everywhere and finally in september uh of that year I was able to secure a couple of interviews and got a job through a title insurance company, which, by the way, was an outside sales position. And, again, (laughs) you know as well. I know exactly. Tell me about it. So they did equip me with one of those big package cell phones. So you know as well as I do that ADA, American Disabilities Act, came out in 1990. Now, you know how the federal government... Um, does the trickle-down policy. It doesn't take a couple of weeks to modify everything. In fact, our, in Chicago, the metro railroad stations, they didn't equip um, every train with disability uh, cars that help people with disabilities until probably 2000, 2001. So it took quite a long time. So I, I would say probably a good 40, 50 percent of the places I went to to call on accounts were not that accessible. But I developed these relationships and I had these people help me up the stairs. Now, there's a guy around my home, he has a disability, he's in a chair, and his job is to go to a place, see that it's not accessible, has this attorney write a letter saying that we're gonna sue you if you don't, you don't, uh, you know, modify the, the the building. Now, again, like I say, I'm not that guy. Yeah. I would rather go for a solution, a quick solution, than to be litigious. And yeah. so that has helped me throughout the years. It's all about getting from point A to point B, no matter what's holding you back. So yeah, to answer right. your question about the job, I think it's just an attitude. I have a friend that works, he's a regional sales manager over at Hitachi, He has uh, an associate uh, that used to work for another company and developed a friendship with my friend and said that, you know, the only reason that people aren't getting the job is because he's in a wheelchair and and he just complains. And you know what? Man, that's an excuse. I'm sorry. We're not living in, you know, the early 1900s. I mean, you know, people are more progressive. I'm not saying that every employer is going to be as progressive as others, but there are many opportunities no matter what your disability is. There just are.
0: Exactly. And uh, so many people, again, there's two sides of life. So many people will use their disability as an excuse. Oh, I'm on, uh, you know, government disability, I can't work, blah, blah, hard to find a job. And other people, they'll just refuse to uh, fall into that trap. They A lot of them won't take government assistance and they will find a job. But it can be daunting. There can be some fear. I know I've gone to interviews where, you know, they've asked, well, how many... Days work do you usually miss. Are you off a lot? And oh, all these surgeries. And as soon as they start talking, that my heart would be like, man, I can tell them I don't miss any days, but it's very hard for them to understand or believe or know that. And so it could be discouraging. There are numerous times where I went for interviews where I thought man i can do that job probably better than anybody but i didn't. but you
1: know what go. you just brought up the point you said persistence and perseverance a couple of minutes ago so if that yeah. person didn't appreciate you well you know what there's gonna be a lot of other companies that are going to appreciate what you have to offer
0: exactly exactly and so next but some you know it's still no matter how strong you are it would hurt inside to be like
1: damn and we're only human our emotions get to us it's it's it, it can be very disappointing um I, it's so funny because now, you know, I'm in sales, been in sales forever, and I used to, you know, if I lost an account or lost a, a client or whatever, I would literally be bummed out every, for the whole day, maybe even a couple of days after that. Now, I'm literally, if that if it does happen and it's infrequent when it happens, I'm upset maybe for about five minutes because then I come yeah. to the realization that other people can appreciate my services. Maybe it just wasn't a good fit with this other person.
0: Amen. One thing I talk about or remind people of, uh, I'm in Canada, you're in the U.S., but still, um, we are even blessed to have our disabilities in a in North America. Imagine four to ten people in the world who don't live every day, don't eat every day, uh, and uh, my mom does medical missions trips, and I've heard of the condition of some of these people. If either of them, if any of those people had arthritis or when it needed a wheelchair, they're basically one hundred percent almost screwed. And uh so what a blessing. Yeah, we have disabilities, but yeah, we have them in North America where we have amazing medical care, the fine wheelchairs in the world, uh, um, and you know, the best system to look after us and so that can be a blessing as well. Absolutely. Now, one blessing we have in Canada is 40 times in hospital doesn't cost me anything. Uh, You guys are still going through that debate and that challenge.
1: We are, Uh, and it's it's going to take some more time. It's it's a very heated debate.
0: Very heated debate. I uh, happily tell everyone I'm more than happy to pay my taxes because they probably am in the hole forever and ever (laughs) uh, as far as what I've gotten out of them and what I've given to them. Um, But... uh, It is a blessing at least if you have a disability, if you're in North America where we have access to amazing health care and the best of all the things that we need. And so even that can be a blessing. When I tell people I'm amazing, those times I don't feel amazing, um, I remind myself of those things. Four out of ten people in the world don't eat every day and I'm no nicer than them uh, to be born in Canada to great parents and have great medical care.
1: And so there's Where our situation could I'm sorry go ahead. Yeah, there's
0: always things we can be thankful for.
1: Yeah, and and things can always be worse. They really can. Yeah. And I'm 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 not 6 feet under. I am uh, I'm living my life to its fullest in every moment of my life, and, and that's what I appreciate. But you're right. I mean, you know, we, we, I would have definitely a lot better health care here than I did uh, would do it if it was a third world country. You know, my operation was at Northwestern Memorial Hospital in Chicago, and it's one of the most premier facilities in the country. So the, the doctors, the surgeons that took care of my back, I mean, I, you know, just to explain very quickly, it was my thoracic 12, the spinal cord, there's cervical, which are seven bones, thoracic 12, 12 lumbar five bones and when I fell off the railroad tracks I landed on my feet snapped my back forward and that t12 smashed into the spinal cord and sliced right into it so what they had to do was take that out and take bone sections sections from my lower left leg and my right hip formed a new vertebrae and then put two rods in there well I got to tell you I, and I get a backache once, maybe every three months. They just did a phenomenal job, and it's been 26 years post injury, um, so I'm lucky because I hear so many horror stories about people having surgeries over and over and over because there's always complications. Yeah. I, wow. I can't yeah. relate.
0: Exactly. So, so many things that uh, uh, are blessings that sometimes people with severe disabilities don't always look at their blessings they look at their disability
1: wow yeah. that whole half glass is half full half empty there's a lot to be said about that isn't there tom
0: exactly exactly so when are you going to write a book
1: good question like i'm in it. the outline phase right now and uh, i i'm giving myself 18 months to get something out there it's funny because you know i call speaker bureaus because i'm really trying to expand the marketing and the visibility of my business and a lot of people are saying okay. first question where where's your book <laughs> so yes I am going to append the paper Again, when it comes down to getting your daily goals done, and I've been a strong advocate, and I've mentioned it several times in this interview, that goes without saying, but dealing with two careers, it really makes every moment of my day very deliberate, the fact that I need to get my responsibilities done for prospecting in the morning and then being creative and script development, script content, and and blogging, and so forth. So a lot of that is going to be incorporated into the book. And, of course, right now I have my um, my outline of exactly where I want to go throughout this journey in my book too so yes um, it's happening I know that was a long-winded answer Tom but uh, yeah, yeah, it's happening. Yeah. I get
0: asked the same and mine is in being in this last stage of editing uh, but yeah I guess when you want to speak so many people ask where's your book and then you can people tell me you can charge more when you have a book Yeah, i like charging is good <laughs> <laughs> or you can speak for free and still earn money
1: well, that's true too, and you could do, you actually do different ways in how you set your contracts up when you can uh, sell the books in the back of the room or sell it as part of the fee yeah, oh, I hadn't thought of selling it yeah, when we see it. each other in september also we'll we'll definitely talk about that
0: that'll be uh, uh, amazing amazing and so uh are there what are some of the give me like before we leave maybe two best messages or best things that uh, you uh, remind other people regarding their equipment and that they already have the tools they need uh, to achieve their success regardless of whatever challenges they face. I'll just share a few major points uh, before we wrap up.
1: Sure. You know, you know, most people are paralyzed with fear when it comes to certain aspects of their life. If they take it in a realistic approach and prepare themselves, and when they approach the the actual project or or situation that they're fearful of, maybe conflict or maybe, um, you know, a a project that they just don't have much knowledge on, you have to approach the fear. uh, You analyze it. You use your plan A. Your plan A, if that doesn't work, plan B, there's always got to be a plan B. There really always has, and you have to get over yourself. Get to be prepared. Get that plan B out there, and you can virtually overcome any fear. And I have used that approach for many years in my life, and it's really helped me be successful. And when I mean successful, I don't mean just only money. I'm talking about every aspect of my life. And I think that's incre- incredibly important to, to move on and really build yourself, not only your character, but just to overcome these amazing fears. And by the way, if we stay in our comfort zone, that, that's complacency. You know what? You know, we need to be uncomfortable sometimes. So a small amount of healthy fear is actually good. And I mentioned in the beginning of this interview that it keeps you alert, keeps you frosty. And those are challenges in life. And it really just expands our mindset. Exactly,
0: exactly, and complacency is just the wrong place for people to be. So, excellent. Uh, what's your website where people can find you?
1: So a couple of places. I would love them to visit uh, the Facebook page, uh, Dale J. Spencer, and uh, click Like on that. Uh, and then also my website is www.dalespencer, That's D A L E S P E N C E R. Oh, another one is Twitter, is Dale underscore Spencer and the number one.
0: Ah, okay. Excellent. So uh, Dale Spencer on the website and uh, Dale J. Spencer on Facebook, which I happen to have liked your page. 753 likes. Look at you, Uh, you dirty dog.
1: I'm trying, Uh, man. I'm trying. It's a daily effort.
0: Yeah, man, i got to take some social media lessons from
1: you. <laughs> Another thing we could talk about, I think we could pr- pr- do a pretty good job collaborating with each other when we see each other.
0: Exactly, exactly. Well, thanks so much for your time uh, today, Dale. I really appreciate it. People like you are who I use to encourage and motivate myself. Uh, When you have a physical disability, you tend to uh, get inspired and encouraged by other people with physical disabilities. And so um, when I read your story, saw your story, it was a real inspiration to me. And I think that's the, the base and key of your message and your success will be reminding people that despite their challenges, they already have the tools they need. To achieve their purpose and goals, uh, and they just need to focus on that and unfocus on whatever their problems are.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely,
0: Amazing. So, DaleSpencer.com. I will be seeing you in Chicago. I'll remind people about the Ultimate Mastermind Summit, and I'm going to do my best to get you up on stage while I'm there as well. And uh, again, it would be an honor. So much for thank you so much for your time, Dale. It's uh, I appreciate it. Uh, more of an interview to inspire me, but it will also inspire other people. Take care. And one
1: last thought is, like, you know, I'm not only there to inspire others. Other people inspire me on a daily basis, and you really had to uh, utilize that inspiration to make your life better. I think that's important. Thanks. It is important.
0: Thanks so much, Dale. Have yourself an
1: amazing day. You too, Tom. Take care.